This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. We will now have the scripture reading for today. And today's passage is taken from Luke chapter 16, verses 1 to 15. So I'll be reading from the New International Version. If you have your physical uh, hard copy Bibles with you, uh, do take them out so that you can follow along. Now, if you do not have one, uh, feel free to follow along on the slides as well. So after I'm done reading, I will invite Pastor Andrew Wong to come up and explain the passage to us. Luke chapter 16, verse 1. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, How much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, And how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, Take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. This is the word of the Lord. I'll now invite Pastor Andrew to uh, explain the passage to us. Good afternoon to everyone. Good afternoon. Is it morning or afternoon? In between. Morning now will be afternoon by the time you finish. So it's always a privilege and joy to be with God's people. And uh, I'm thankful that we have this opportunity. Now I hope you have your Bible with you because we will be flipping it. If you have your digital Bible, it's fine as well. But uh, keep it with you so that we can look at it together. Uh, Let's pray and ask God to help us. 
But Father, we thank you for the gospel of according to Luke. Thank you that Jesus spoke to us because you care about us. So we pray this morning as we open up your word, we pray, God, that your Holy Spirit will help us to understand and not just understand that your Holy Spirit will also empower us to respond to you. This we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, a few years ago, I was still in Australia, and I attended this homecoming uh, party for a missionary who had been serving in Asia for decades. So the party was going on. I sat with the missionary at the director's home, and I could not forget the unease in his eyes. I was looking, he, he, he didn't look he's, um, comfortable and uh, happy. So as I spoke to him, eventually he shared with me that having been in Asia for so long, for decades, uh, having loved the people all this time, he actually no longer feel at home in Australia. He said this, and I still remember, he says, why well, I look white on the outside, but I'm very yellow inside. I'm white on the outside, but I'm very yellow inside. And he wished that he could have actually finished his journey um, back in Asia. And he was a man who already gave his best years in life to the Lord. He's, he's, he's old now. He's given his best to the Master, bringing the good news to the Lord. He was a man who actually knew the heartbeat of God. Now, in our previous chapter last week, as Pastor Andrew Ong was teaching, Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law on the fatherly love God has for the lost. Now, how like the older brother in the parable of the lost son, that the religious leader, they had to wrestle with the generosity of God for wayward children. Now, as we come to chapter 16, Jesus now turns to his disciples, calling them, that you share this heartbeat of the Father, His love for the lost. If you have a Bible, look at verse 1 of chapter 16. It begins this way. Jesus told His disciples. And we'll notice by verse 14 later on that actually there was a huge crowd. The Pharisees were listening in. The teachers of law were listening. But here, Jesus, in verses 1 to 4, is not talking to the Pharisees. He was focusing on His disciples, on Christians. So it is worth for us to listen carefully to this parable. Now, this parable of the manager is actually one of the more or most confusing of Jesus' parables because of two verses, because this is what Jesus said in verse 4. Take a look at verse 8. Take a look at verse 8 with me. Jesus said this The master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. And more shockingly, the next verse in verse 9, Jesus then asks his disciples that you learn from the dishonest manager on the use of money. Now, to understand this parable, the key really is in verse 8 that you have to catch, capture where the, the master commanded the manager on his shrewdness, not on his dishonesty because they are a world part. And the focus, if you want to get the focus of this parable, it really is this, to invest temporal money shrewdly for eternal future. Let me say that again, to invest temporal money shrewdly 
for our eternal future. To the Christians who have been nodding their head last week, listening to Jesus, telling the, the, the Pharisees about the love of the Father for the lost, the throwback for those Christians who are nodding is this, will we then capture this heartbeat and joy of God to invest in a future where the lost are found and brought back to God? So with that, let's look at verses 1 to 9 with me. If you have your Bible, look at it with me and I'll read for us verse 1. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. So here is a man who is clearly rich and so rich that he has a manager to watch over his possessions. Now the manager was entrusted with his account books. He was given authority to manage the master's possession. He has a lot of authority there to use them wisely, to give loans to those who need them. And uh, part of his role probably looks like a tax collector, now making sure the master continues to have profit. And in the meantime, he managed downwards on debtors. Now this manager has been dipping his hands in the master's possessions. And perhaps the other Servants have taken notice of it. And so the news, the complaints, the evidence were brought before the rich man and he declares that the manager was no longer suitable for the position. But unlike our modern day senior management in a financial institution where they get gardening leave, you ask to leave straight away, you have your gardening leave, you know, get paid without doing anything so that you have no access to the accounts and, and, and details. But there isn't gardening leave, so this manager, he was still given time to sort things out. In fact, to bring the books to the rich man. He has a chance to, to, to bring what he has done to the rich man. But time really is running out of, for this dishonest manager. He knew he was caught red-handed. There was no excuse. There's no way he's going to keep his job, verse 3. And he started to do an assessment of his future. So this is what... Oh, he, thinks, he, he, he looks out the window, he starts thinking, what should I do now? My master is taken, taking away my job. No, he will soon be jobless and he'll have no job. Now, I remember someone shared this joke. In fact, it was uh, Jerome who just got married many years ago. He, he gave this joke in a, a church camp. He said this, what do you call Bob the Builder who gets retrenched? Bob. That's all. That's all. What do you call the manager who loses his role as a manager? Let's call him? The, the nobody, right? He will be a nobody soon. So as he looks out of his window, staring out there at the laborers digging the roads under the hot sun, and then he looks down at his beer belly, he says, I'm not strong enough to dig. He steered away, looked at the other corner of the window, and he saw beggars out there that he despised every time he gets to work, those filthy rags. And he says, I'm too ashamed to beg. Finally, he looks back at his table, his accolades, his desk of achievement, his accounts with the names of people who come bowing to him all the time because they are debtors. And he suddenly had this eureka moment. 
He almost fell off his leather chair, which will not be here soon. The soon-to-be nobody manager, he stood up, he opened the most valuable account books that he has. And he said, verse 4, look at it, verse 4, he says, I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he started pulling out all the accounts and he started calling, starting with perhaps those who are uh, greater debts or uh, have uh, greater fears. And he started calling all the debtors in. Time is short, he has to make haste. And here we only told of two of the debtors, but you can imagine that being multiplied many, many times with all the accounts. Okay, so the, the manager, he still had authority. He called the first debtor in and he, he had to rush in. And he looked at the first debtor and says, how much do you owe my master? Now, the office is huge, so imagine all of us can crowd in. If not, you can stand from the window and look in to, to, to join the fund, right? And as he says, how much do you owe my master? It was a strange moment because the manager already knew how much debt the debtor owes, right? The book was open, the contract was there, the signature, the thumbprint was there. Perhaps all the words saying that the man had mortgaged his house, his cow, his family's freedom, everything was there. So it was a loaded question when the manager asked the debtor, how much do you owe the master? So can you imagine that the debtor is there, he, he was perspiring, thinking about a loan, soling hard even though he has no COVID, uh, and he says, nine, 900 gallons 900 gallons of olive oil. That's a few years' wages if you just breathe air and solo oxygen. Nine, many years of wages. And he ain't got no money to pay. Manager looked at him. He gave this crooked smile. He said, come here, come here. Take, take the bill. Sit down quickly. Make it 450. Can you picture the look of the debtor? For, for what? 450. Take it or leave it. Quick. You know, this guy is dumbfounded. He go cancel it. 450. He, he wrote his sign. The manager who has authority puts his chop in, sealed. 450. Can you imagine that scene as the, the, the debtor walks out still shaking? He looks back with, with shock at the manager. The manager looks at him, smile, and says, I'll see you around, friend. Let's catch up again. Second man, he's repeated, how much do you owe? Now this man owes a thousand bustle of wheat. Probably shaking when he said that. That's a, a commentator said that's worth probably eight years of a salary. If you spend nothing, you don't take bars, you just walk. That's eight years of wages. The manager says, take your bill, make it 800. As the second downfolded debtor, did the same thing and he was leaving his office looking at the manager again. He waved at the debtor and says, I'll see you around, friend. Catch you later. And he carries on this until the sun sets, until all the debtors have come in and gone out. And you know what happened? By the time the sun sets, he has covered all the debtors in town and this soon-to-be nobody manager has created his own title. He's called the savior of the debtors. Now, friends, here's where we end off this parable with two shocking conclusions. The first is this, that the master, when he found out, he did not rebuke the manager. Instead, look at verse 8, he says, 
the master commanded the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. But as we have said, it was not a commendation for his dishonesty or integrity, but this shrewdness to secure his future that no one can rob him of. Now, as my Bible study members say this way, he says, got to give it to you, man. Right? You can imagine in the modern language, I have to give it to you. Because I can't change the, the, the future because you have still it, you still had authority in your time, you have, you have cancelled the debts, and, and, and you are shrewd. The people of this world refers to people who live. In verse 8, it says, For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of the light. So the people of the world, as the master continues, refers to people who live with worldly future in mind. And the shrewd manager knew the values of this world. He, he knew what the debtors were thinking. He knew the debtors, probably like you and I, they are worried about their future. Maybe they're stressed about their security. They want to retire happy and not in debt. And so he knew how to offer it to them using his temporal authority as the rich man's manager. If he has to have a slogan, this will be the shrewd, man, shrewd manager's uh, slogan. He is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain friends for retirement. He is no fool who give up what he cannot keep to gain friends for retirement. Now, he couldn't keep his job, his pay, his power, so he made every opportunity to max out the short time he had to secure his future. However, the people that liked Christians, referring to the disciples of Jesus, we are less shrewd about living our eternal future in mind. Now, we cannot feel the pulse rate of the eternal future, as good as how the worldly people can feel the pulse rate of the coming retirement. As people alike, we are not as shrewd in planning for eternal happiness. We do not invest in our eternal happiness in the same way this world invests in their earthly happiness at retirement. That's the first shock, shocking conclusion. The second comes right this in, ver, in the verse 9. Jesus, as he turns to his disciples, he calls them to learn from a true manager. He says, verse 9, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. So while the manager thinks to himself, surely, he is no fool who give up what he cannot keep to gain friends for retirement. Christians, we are actually called to remember Jim Elliot's quote. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. I remember fondly my late mentor. Right? I like to call him a mentor. I'm not sure if he calls me the same. Uh, he, he passed away about 8 to 10 years ago. He was a single man. He gave his whole life in the service of the Lord. And he used his couch to house international students who want to save on rentals. This is an amazing man. Uh, because if they stay with him, they will eventually follow his morning routines to read the Bible. And him being an old man, sometimes they have to read to him, right? Because he can't see very well. So they have to read to him. Um, yeah, there will be times that he will get them to pray with him or at least listen to him since they are reading the Bible with him. His stacks are prayer letters for missionaries from around the world. When I first arrived, he, he, he brought me, or he once brought me to Kings Park where there is a cafe and he bought me this dessert, uh, rhubarb dessert. Do you know what's a rhubarb? 
Uh, I didn't know what was the rubah until I went there. I didn't really like rubah, so but you don't say no when people offer you dessert. So anyway, I had rubah dessert. So he took this opportunity to, to chat to the, to the waiter who was serving us, and he said, hey, this, this young Asian man just arrived in Australia, and he's going to work in a church just down the road. Have you heard of the gospel? He's, he's here to tell people about the gospel. It doesn't waste a single cent even on the rhubarb dessert uh, to bring gospel opportunities. And the waiter being a, 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 a kind, nice Aussie, it's rude for him to just walk off with this Asian boy or Asian guy just sitting here. So he had to listen to, to, to my mentor all this time talking about um, young man has eaten rhubarb before and uh, coming here to preach the gospel and you, know, you should get down to church one day. On many other occasions, uh, the time when we arrived, Linda was already very pregnant and our kids came. Uh, it was tough having twins and my mentor would appear every other time with licorice candies. It was Linda's favorite. You know, it doesn't cost very much to buy a packet of licorice candies. But you know what happened? It makes us feel loved. Many a times when we are tired, licorice candies now remind us that we are loved by someone. It doesn't cost very much. But it was an opportunity to win friends. Now, when he passed away, uh, it was the strangest appearance in the hospital the nurse has seen. You see, there's a strange queue of people to come and see him. People from the streets, people who are senior um, government members of the parliament. You have young internationals. You have old locals who never leave their suburbs. And then when his last dollar was distributed, he didn't have family. It was well distributed, including my good friend's college fees. You know, this friend of mine, he came, tough guy, came for a circular degree, ended up in theological college with me, and now serves in some very difficult places because of his couch or his room. Verse 9 says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you will be welcome into eternal dwellings. Now, Jesus once asked Christians to use money shrewdly for, for two things. One is to gain eternal friends for ourselves. And second, for us to have joy eternally. Jesus calls us to capture the heartbeat and the joy of God in the previous chapter for the lost, to invest temporal money shrewdly for our own eternal future and joy. So the question we ask is, are there ways we can invest money to bring the laws to know God? Perhaps, perhaps it's just a pair of extra chopsticks on Christmas for people who don't celebrate Christmas. Not too hard. My dad has this thing that he going uh, prior to COVID. He always somehow will find some surprise guests on Christmas when it's just our family dinners. No? You know, we are introverts. When it's family dinner, we just want to cuddle there and do nothing and let our guts down. And then there'll be a China friend or some other friend who comes in. To him, it was cheap because he just brings extra chopstick and say, you guys do the talking because it's your age, right? So, so he's good with that. Um, perhaps if you're visiting someone in a hospital, it doesn't cost very much to have an extra apple or fruit to the neighbors in a hospital if you're visiting someone. Um, my dad has that as well. Uh, he likes to peel fruits before COVID. Uh, 
right? Before COVID, he likes to peel the fruits to a neighbor. And if I happen to rock up, and he will always say this, ah, and, and my son is a pastor. You know what happens when someone says your son is a pastor? Only two things will happen. That person is a Christian and says, ah, oh, great, I'll pray with you, have a chat. Or someone who says, you, you know, you Christians, you hypocrites, you always tell us that we are going to hell and you sit there, because you're a pastor, you cannot rebut. So you sit there for 15 minutes and let them score you. And meanwhile, my dad say, I'm heading off, see you around. <laughs> and I'll be there, right? But he doesn't waste his orange or apple for the gospel. And for us as well. Or perhaps it is about supporting missionaries by prayer or financial support. You know, there are times that we have more missionaries or ministries we want to support than we can. But that's all right. Rather, in that case, the best thing for us is to be willing to pray for, and as the Lord guides, um, He will guide us on how we should respond. Because first, we do need to have the heartbeat of God in chapter 15. And if that's what we have been praying, then the Lord lead us along the way. The praying for gospel work can help us prepare to be more shrewd towards eternal purpose. Or it could simply be using our resources to encourage a Christian brother or sister to just persevere a little bit. This is something I think in this church, you guys are really good at and I've always been very encouraged. Just this week, I I found a box of hot steaming pow from the other side of Singapore just because Linda had COVID and our sister who just turned out with kuei and some medicine. Uh, it, It was a great comfort I mean, we are not perfect. We try to do that sometimes. And I know many of you try to do that at various times just to encourage each other along that you are not alone because some people do feel very alone. In the past, we have tried giving chocolates to an Iman neighbor because in his festival, he will send us some food and I can't cook for him because he, he wouldn't eat. So we'll bring chocolate. We try to kind of show that we, we can. Hopefully, there's some conversations or there'll be others from other faiths. I know some here in our church would read the Bible with their neighbors. doesn't cost a lot, but it does cost intentionality. Jesus says, verse 9, Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. So when it is gone, or to put bluntly, when we are gone, you'll be welcome into eternal dwelling. So gain eternal friends and joy eternally. Now, to be clear, this has got nothing to do with earning eternal life because we can't earn salvation. We, we enter heaven or we receive eternity or eternal life solely based not on our works but on the works of Jesus and us trusting in Him. But there's plenty of joy in friendships to see friends eternally together. Now, if friends, we long to see, and even more so, can you imagine the day where people long to see you in heaven? It'd be great on the day where you long to see those you want to see, but it's so amazing if there are people who long to see you on that day as well. Oh, the amazing day, if you come, where I can see my mentor and queue up with all the others just to give that brotherly hug and to remind him of the Rubab and the licorice candy that had made 
into eternity. And we'll not just be welcomed by eternal friends, the Lord himself will welcome us. This is the word of those with eternal minds. They will say to the Lord on the final day. This is taken from Matthew 25. Let me read this to us. Those with eternity in mind will say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. The welcome would not just be friends, but the Lord and the King himself. So dear brothers and sisters, may the Lord help us to be shrewd for the future and may we gain eternal friends and experience that joy eternally. Now, some of the friends or the disciples of Jesus, you can imagine the next word that comes out. They'll be thinking, uh, if only God will bless me with a million dollars or if God will bless me with more, then I can be more shrewd and to be more giving. Well, Jesus expects that to come, and this is what Jesus says in verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Now, here's a principle of faithfulness that reminds us of King David. You know the story of King David? Before he becomes King David, he was just David. Right? He was a young shepherd. He takes care of his father's sheep. And for years, out of everyone's sight, he just faithfully protected the sheep. He fought lions, he fought bears, just to make sure not a single sheep is being lost. Eventually, God brought him to be the under-shepherd of God's people, and he was the greatest king in history. Now, the principle of faithfulness is not about giving when we have plenty, but just being trustworthy with what is entrusted to us. In, in that sense, two things happen. In one sense, it is a great relief. It means that you don't have to look at your left or right and compare because God doesn't care about comparing. God doesn't compare and God doesn't care about comparing. He just wants us to be faithful with what we have. Now, once Jesus commanded that the poor, there's a poor widow, that two small, very small copper coin weighs more than the abundance that people gave out of just their sheer abundance. That two coins weigh, way more to God. It's telling us everyone can be faithful, even those who are very little. So that's one, one sense. In another sense, however, it tells us how we deal with the smallest things in life matters as much as how we deal with the big things in life. Because people will see the big things, but God also looks at the small things. Our view and use of money reveals our character. For whoever can be trusted with very little, Jesus says, can be trusted. Will we, you and I, be trustworthy with small matters in our daily lives? Do we live as stewards or masters of our possession each day? Now Jesus continues, verse 11, If you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Now here, here Jesus gives two different riches. 
One is the worldly wealth. The other is the heavenly riches that Jesus used the word true riches. So two, kind, two, two kinds of riches. And give two timelines. One, you are merely a steward. The other, you are the owner. And the difference is one, you have to give it away. The other, you keep it forever. Why did Jesus say money we have in this life is someone else's property? Well, the slogan of uh, Patek Philip watch says it very well. I don't know, the young ones, you probably have never seen it. Some of you may have. If I show you, you might see it. Remember this. They, they have these very cheesy photos of uh, a dad and a son, and then the dad become old and the son become older. Uh, it's, it's cheesy, but the slogan strikes. This is what it says. Okay, let me show you. Okay, pretty cheesy there. It says, you never actually own a Patek Philip. You merely look after it for the next generation. So with that slogan, they can charge you a lot for, for a watch. Lah, to tell you that actually you will expire before the watch. Here's the driving point. Everything we have is entrusted to us by God. And you and I are like the gardenia bread. Do you buy gardenia bread with the little tag there? We are the ones that have the expiry dates. Like the dishonest steward, his time will run out, his power and influence will be removed, and so it is for us. In fact, back in Luke chapter 12, if you were here many months or many weeks ago, God told another rich man this. He said this to the rich man, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? No, there's a good reason why humans are born not like kangaroos. We have no pockets when we are born because we will go off with nothing. There are no pockets for us. We must hand over our possession when we expire. And everything, some of us are good with money. Jesus also tells us even our ability to accumulate wealth in this life comes from God. Again, that famous King David, you read it just now in responsive reading. He said these words, I'll just read to you what you read just now. He said this, after accumulating that massive amount to build the temple of God, he said this, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. So Jesus says that we are not owners of our possessions, we are stewards. We are meant to, verse 12, be trustworthy with someone else's property. And if we do, here's the good news. The good news is that there are true riches waiting for us. These true riches, they will not be temporary. They are our property. Because unlike the Patek Phillips slogan, you mainly look after it for the next generation. The true riches, there's no next generation because it is yours forever. Our eternal life our eternal joy, our eternal dwelling with God, our eternal identity with Him, our eternal friendships that we have. Now, in, in the earlier parable, we are called to be shrewd with our money, use it to gain friends. In this passage, we are called to be faithful with what the Master entrusted to us. And finally, having spoken about money and God, Jesus tells us that we can only be faithful to one Master. And that's the last verses. Look at verse 13 with me if you have your Bible. Verse 13. 
No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. No, do you know as a jockey, you, know, you go for horse racing, a jockey cannot ride two horses when they want to run a race. Or if you take a grab or in a cart, the car can't go two passage when you have a wide junction. You can only make one, one path. So Jesus says no one can serve two masters. But you know what's the trouble with us Christians? You and I, we are all the same. Our trouble is not that we do not want to serve God. Because Christians, we want to serve God. Our trouble is to think that we can serve both. We want to serve both God and so we can serve money. I think that's our trouble. No Christian will say, I don't want to serve God. Our trouble is we, we, we tend to think we can survive on both. But the contrast is clear. We can either hate the one and love the other or devoted to one and despise the other. We cannot serve both. Let me, let me give you some examples to think, right? How, how it works. Imagine in a few weeks' time, you have a, we have a mission talk. Or it could be anywhere. You, you hear a missionary. The missionary tells you missions in hard places. And your heart was thumping. Okay, your heart was thumping when you hear this. I want to give more. I want to give some money to missions, hard places. No, my budget is tight. So go back, you look at your budget. How can you do it? You realize, you know what? You happen to be a Starbucks fan. You, you love your Frappuccino. Okay, so if, if you're crazy with uh, Starbucks, if you're having Starbucks every day, I tell you what, you're set back $2,000 a year just by drinking a Starbucks on weekdays uh, when you go to work, not on weekends. If you at weekends, it'll be maybe more than that. So you tell yourself, Okay, for this one year, I, I'm going to sacrifice my, my Starbucks coffee. So you say, I'm going to cancel my Starbucks coffee. Maybe I have one occasionally, but I'm going to give it up. So you, you're going to save plenty of money to, to give to missions. And then what happened? Sunday, you had a late night. Supposed to sleep, never sleep. Right? You went for your Netflix. Monday morning, you wake up. Oh, brain fog. You're tired. Money says, hey, dude. Starbucks. And then your heart says, dude, make your own coffee, bring to work. Then now suddenly you have that two tension on a Y junction. Am I going for my Starbucks? Or am I going to make the coffee because I, I just said yesterday night I'm going to make my own coffee and bring to work. So you, you know what I'm trying to say? Perhaps you could say, you know what? Starbucks coffee is not my thing. Well, Maybe it's not, but perhaps it could be extensive holidays, it could be online shopping, you know, that crave, especially COVID has brought us to be online shoppers, find China, expensive hobbies. Now, don't get me wrong, these are all good stuff, we can enjoy it as the Lord provides. The Lord provides, enjoy it. But the point here is, whenever we reach a cross junction, where we have to make costly sacrifice for the gospel, be it giving to missionaries, letting them stay in your house, buying someone lunch, giving to gospel cause, or you have limited leave, but you decide you want to go for short-term mission, it's going to set back your leave by half. On those cross junctions, are we owners or stewards of our possessions? Now, Christians, we, when we decide we are owners, instead of stewards of our possession, and then that, that is when we choose money instead of God as our master. Again, I'll say the trouble we Christians face is not to refuse serving God, but it's to think we can serve both. That is always our challenge. Many will try, none will succeed, says Jesus, because verse 13, he goes on, you cannot serve both God and money. 
This is Jesus' warning of idolatry over money for all of us. I want to ask this question. Have you played whack-a-mole before? You know what's a whack-a-mole? Let me show it to you. Have you played whack-a-mole before? Yeah, yeah. Who, who loves whack-a-mole? You know, the mole keeps popping up. No matter how you whack it, 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 it goes down and then it's pop up. You know what? Um, money, or money as a master, is like a whack-a-mole. You, you, you hammer it down, tomorrow it's going to pop up somewhere else. Uh, that is the reality because of who we are in this life. You know, it, it tries to, to pop up in different ways because it is a great deceiver. It's a great deceiver. When we treasure money like our master, we will find ways to justify. Even after we deal with it one time, we, it'll pop up again, we'll have to deal with it again. Let me read to you the, the, the last part and you'll see how it goes. I need your Bible with me, uh, with you. So if you have Bible, Luke 16, look at verse 14. I want to read it and I want you to, to follow me on that verse. Let's give you a moment to flip your Bible. Luke 16, verse 14. For the youths, you have your journal. So there you go. Someone can shout out the page number. Luke 16, verse 14. Let me read and follow me carefully. Verse 14. The Pharisees who love God's law, hurt Jesus. Wait, is that what he's saying? Anyone's nodding their head? You're not looking at passage. You're expecting it because the Pharisees are people who are meant to love God's law and you know, keep all the right things. That's not how Luke writes it. He says, the Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. Jesus said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others. So instead of using wealth to make friends, this passage is literally saying the Pharisees are making friends with money. And here the Pharisees who are listening to Jesus, they begin to sneer, or if you want to translate it differently, they wrinkle their nose at Jesus. That's what the passage is saying. They're wrinkling their nose at Jesus' teaching, and they begin to justify themselves. Now, as Jesus had said earlier in Luke 12, 34, you know, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, and there your justification will come. Perhaps this is what they, they may say. They may say, you know, they are the people of the law, right? So he says, I'm the owner of my money, and God owns one-tenth according to the law. Right? I give God the one-tenth that belongs to him. Or perhaps they, they are more shrewd. They will say something like this. You know what? Um, my wealth... Is evidence that I'm blessed by God. I'm rich because I'm blessed by God. And these blessings are God's gift and inheritance to me. So it's mine. And I can give God my inheritance. So you see, he's saying that what I have is actually God's blessings to me for my righteousness. I don't know if you have heard that in our generation. Or worse, perhaps they may even alter their teaching just slightly to win more followers and gain more wealth. Whatever the justification the religious leaders have at this point, what is clear, Jesus tells us, is that they are fully aligned with the world, the values of this world. But Jesus warns us of the idolatry of the money. In fact, Jesus gives this one last warning in the last verse. Jesus said, God knows. God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. So the final warning is this. You may justify 
But God knows, God detests. Here is where the rubber hits the road. If you try to find comfort in common denominators in the society, how we should behave, I may feel a sense of security because we're kind of like everyone else. Um, Jesus says, it's not going to give you any comfort because God does not care who you compare with. God does not judge our faithfulness or allegiance by comparing with others, nor does he let our eloquence justify our lives. So no point being a lawyer as well for God. We're all lawyers to ourselves. God really knows our heart. This is a warning that all of us need to ponder in our hearts. For God is the ultimate judge of our lives as Christians. Whether we capture God's heartbeat for the lost, he knows whether we are shrewd for our eternal future. He knows whether we are faithful with what He entrusted us. He knows whether we are devoted to one master or not. He knows. Now there's more that Jesus wants to say in Luke 16, and we'll continue next week. But as we close, I cannot help remembering the Australian missionary I just told you right at the start. Uh, his word still rings in my ears. He says, I may look white, but I'm very yellow on the inside. I may look white, but I'm very yellow on the inside. There he was, an Aussie, but he says, you look more Aussie than me. But I'm not Aussie, I just arrived for a few years. But his heartbeat was for the yellows. So will we as Christians say the same about our lives? We may be living in this world, but we are living for his world. We may be living in this world, but we are living for his world. May Lord help us. Let us pray and ask God to help us. Oh, Heavenly Father, we humble ourselves before you in repentance. We repent of the many times we fail to be shrewd stewards for eternity when we get engrossed with the world. We repent of the many small matters we have not been faithful. We repent of the many attempts of trying to balance two masters. As we come in repentance, bury our sins in the ocean of Jesus' blood and let no evil overtake us. Oh Father, if by selfishness we have ignored heavenly friends to be made on earth, please pour your grace and healing on them and also bring us back to you. If by dishonesty as your stewards where we help relief from others, please do not withhold your mercy on us. If by vigorous attempt we continue to serve two masters, please show yourself to us as the better master so that our hearts will be steered back to you and we will not sink our sheep. Oh Father, give us repentance unto life. Oh, just have mercy on us and know that we are but flesh and blood. In your mercy and grace, just make us more thankful, more humble, and inspire us a deeper sense of love for the eternal kingdom and the true riches you have already prepared, waiting for us as your children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Andrew. Uh, we will now have a time of reflection and discussion. So uh, this is a time for us to just gather together in twos and threes to uh, discuss and reflect on what we have just learned from the sermon. So two questions for us to be thinking about. Number one, why is it difficult for Christians to be shrewd for our eternal future? 
And number two, how can we as a church encourage each other to be shrewd and faithful servants? So we will take about five minutes to have this discussion and after that we will continue with the rest of the service. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.com.